Welcome to Leading with Intention with Monique Daniel. Over the next hour, you're going to learn how to lead more efficiently and effectively in a post-pandemic world where the workplace has changed dramatically. Now, here's Monique. Welcome, I'm Monique. It's great that you've tuned in today. I'm hearing a lot from clients about their inability to focus and concentrate at work. They are actually getting that same feedback from their own managers. So it's noticeable and it's impacting performance. My guest today is Darren Larson. Darren is a trained mindfulness expert who coined the term attentional fitness. With his process, leaders can take ownership over their emotional agility and decrease distractions in the workplace. He trains leaders to develop self-awareness to respond more effectively to professional challenges. Darren, welcome to the show. Hi, Monique. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, I'm glad you could be here today. You know, lack of focus is becoming worse and worse at work. Leaders are taking on more with less resources and their stress is much higher now. What is attentional fitness? So attentional fitness is my way of drawing a comparison from something more people are aware of, whether they're practicing it actively or not, which is physical fitness. So when we think about our physical well-being, we know it's not just waiting until we're sick to seek help. There can be some personal responsibility. I can make healthier eating choices and I can decide to exercise. Um, I can try to get more sleep, all of which are really challenging, right? Challenging and usually an ongoing challenge for people. But when we are able to make any progress in any of those areas, then it contributes to our overall physical well-being. Something remarkably similar is available that I don't think people really fully appreciate, which is the same thing can be true with our attention skills. We tend to just uh, attribute our attention abilities. Uh, it's a chance or personality, or um, maybe we're aware that habit is involved, but I don't think we realize to exercise our attention can result in being able to focus more, have a richer experience of the ordinary moments, um, get more intimately familiar with our own emotional reactions. There's just a lot of things we can do by comparing physical fitness to the potential benefits um, that can come from a particular way of practicing mindfulness. So it's a proactive approach that you practice just in everyday life. And then when you are faced with something really stressful, supposedly you can automatically go into that. Exactly. And that you've, you've hit it because I think what it sounds like, mindfulness often sounds like, number one, it sounds like it's synonymous with breath awareness, which I really like to challenge that assumption. Um, it seems like it's a synonymous with being calm. When I see how marketed, how it's marketed in the marketplace, <laughs> um, it seems like I'm taking a break, I'm getting a massage, I'm taking a walk on the beach, I'm stacking some rocks. Uh, it sounds comfortable because the situation is comfortable. That's the, to me, that's the typical perception. I don't think that's actually the perception of meditation teachers. Um, but when we try to spread, when we try to promote it, it comes out looking like that. And what you've pointed out here is it's proactive in the way that 
I go to the gym so that I can, um, if I consistently take walks, walk on the treadmill, lift weights, swim, I know if I can do that consistently, it's good for my heart. It's good for my digestive system. It's good for my stress, right? Um, so I'm investing time and effort in my physical health by exercising in usually uncomfortable ways, frankly. We find the find the uncomfortable way to develop physical fitness that we're willing to do. Maybe you love swimming, maybe you love walking, but you find the thing you'll do. And it's an investment in feeling healthier. Uh, your baseline for physical well-being increases. Same thing. I'm not practicing mindfulness to get good at sitting still in a quiet room. I'm practicing mindfulness to prepare for life. Life is going to throw things at me. Um, like you were saying, we can talk about um, the impact of uh, pandemic constraints, even up to the present with the, the hybrid workplace, right? Um, so what am I doing to equip myself for my life and the uncertainty that's just um, there all the time, the challenges that are there? How did you first start to explore this? I came to mindfulness as someone who realized they were good at taking care of other people. As a parent, as a social worker, um, I worked in um, the field of mental health for years, uh, both inpatient and outpatient, working with people with really chronic issues. Uh, I did a bit of child abuse uh, protection for a while. Um, so a lot of caring and taking care and addressing other people's problems. And at some point in my life, things were kind of falling apart in lots of ways. One of them being just sort of like um, realizing I thought I had more ability to take care of myself than I apparently do, <laughs> right? <laughs> and it was sort of like, um, it was kind of a rude awakening, but I made some changes. I changed gears uh, as far as my education and I changed gears, taking new risks, learning new things. And at the same time, I thought, you know, I've always been curious about mindfulness. Maybe now's a good time. The really short, I think, story would be I stumbled into a yoga class that was walking distance from my house. And it just happened to be this remarkable um, mindfulness class just kind of disguised as, as yoga. So body awareness. And I just remember thinking, I don't think I've ever noticed things in this way before. I'm going to uh, check this out. Years later, I decided to go on a silent retreat to take this further. And at that point, still thinking, oh, won't that be relaxing? I'll learn some meditation skills. It'll be a break from my routine. Oh, my God. It was boot camp to me. It felt like boot camp. Someone with 10 years of experience working in mental health. I thought, what are you talking about? I'm just sitting here feeling my feelings, observing my mind, tasting my food. It felt like I don't think I had ever experienced anything like that. So it was simultaneously excruciating, get me out of here, and cathartic. I can't believe what I've been in four days of practicing rigorously in mostly silence, what I've been able to observe about myself and see more clearly and sort of like, um, it's almost like... Um, cooking off some of this gunk that I wasn't even aware was there until it started uh, dissipating a bit. So 
anyway, that's my, that's how I got into it for myself. Um, and that was, I've, I went on that silent meditation retreat in September, 2002. And I've been practicing every day since then. We can talk about how I, what I attribute that to if you want, but, um, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Because is that when you first started realizing the value of attention? Like, is that when attention came into it? I think so. What so quickly I had trained for a marathon before during the retreat, I thought, oh, this is not a spa vacation. This is not a little class on stress management. This is marathon training. This is rigorous exercise. I'm exercising my attention in ways I didn't really realize were possible. I'm getting clear instruction about what is being asked of me and how to better interpret what I encounter, which is huge. This is what stands in the way, I think, for most people, the inability to interpret their experience of, a, of mindfulness or exercising their attention. So I thought, oh, just like when I go running, every week I'm putting in these miles, I'm sticking to the schedule. On Sundays, every Sunday that gets longer and longer, I'm always playing my edge. And I would never say I'm training for the marathon wrong by noticing that last mile is really uncomfortable, but wow, I can't believe I can do six miles now, eight miles now, 12 miles. And something very similar happened that um, I was noticing my attention responding in a similar way. This is challenging my attention. This is not unconsciousness or numbing or distracting or solving all my childhood issues or uh, or picking and choosing the emotions I want to experience. This is exercising my attention in a way that the I want to say it not intellectual, but more experiential, like, oh, this is what it feels like to experience an emotion or observe a thought or taste a couple bites of my meal. Uh, so it, it popped as exercising my attention is resulting in an experiential awareness that feels really natural and human that I didn't realize I was so far removed from until I started experiencing that in that more rigorous way. Does that make sense? It does. And you mentioned earlier that it's not really breath work, which is how many of us think of mindfulness. And Breathwork is something that can be practiced proactively that can help in stressful situations. So if it's not breathwork, what, what is attentional fitness? How is your method different from all these other methods out there? Right. So if I think about breathwork as a great exercise, just like a treadmill is a great piece of exercise equipment, especially if it's cold outside, right? So... To me, if we say that mindfulness is synonymous with paying attention to our breath, we're saying going to the gym is synonymous with going on a treadmill. And hopefully we all know that the treadmill is one of many options. And if I'm going to stay physically active, I'm going to have to experiment with all my options and find the one I'm willing to do. Depending, I also might want to develop muscular strength or flexibility. It can be any number of things. And I'm going to pick the exercises that fit that. So um, it's the same thing. Breath work is an amazing tool. It's popular for a reason, but you have a lot of different options. Let me kind of see if I can quickly explain how breath awareness can point to. What's the point of breath awareness and how can that point to other options? 
when we have one option, we take this instruction, set a timer for five minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes, notice the sensations of breathing. When you realize your mind has wandered to something else, the past, the future, storytelling, gently bring it back. It's an amazing instruction that I would say approximately 100% of people misinterpret and are convinced they're doing it wrong. Part of it's almost like sort of an initiation to realize, oh my gosh, it, they literally mean feel the sensations of breathing when your attention wanders off, bring it back. They literally mean that. What we experience is, oh my gosh, my attention wanders incessantly. What am I, what's wrong with me? What's, what am I doing wrong? And the reality is sort of like um, uh, bait and switch. We hope to feel relaxation and we realize, oh my gosh, I have a constant stream of thoughts and feelings. How do I not make a problem of that? Now the teachers will say, gently return to the body, <laughs> but that's a really hard instruction to take at face value and to actually uh, um, do. Now, what I think happens is when I only have this one exercise, then when I practice it, after two or three days, I think, I don't understand the point of this. It seems like if I could only stop thinking, I would be so much happier. So there's either something wrong with me or something wrong with mindfulness. I don't know. Um, and what's the point of this? I'm going to give up. I think that's probably the majority of people's experience, whether you have an app or, or not. It's really easy to be discouraged and give up. Now, if I have options, so what makes what makes this so good is, in reality, when you're noticing the sensations of breathing for a few seconds, you're doing mindfulness perfectly. When you realize your attention has wandered, you're doing mindfulness perfectly. That takes time to truly um, lean into and believe <laughs> and accept. In the same way that it would be the same thing as if someone started taking that stairs instead of the elevator, and they say, I think I must be doing something wrong because like by the third flight, um, um, I'm starting to get like sweaty and uncomfortable. My legs are burning, so I must be taking the stairs wrong. But what they're encountering is this is what it takes to develop muscle is a challenge. In the same way, it's challenging to keep coming back um, to the sensations of breathing. Um, we can talk a little bit more about this in a minute, but what I'm, what I'm setting this up for here is a little more discussion about when I only have one option, it seems like thoughts are my enemy. But if I have other options, I realize, oh, no, 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 thoughts are not the enemy. The, there is no enemy. The challenge is being clear about what's being asked for me and finding an exercise that I'm able to do and willing to do consistently. We can talk about those options. What do you think leaders can get from this leaders in the workplace if they were trying to develop their attention skills that would help them in the workplace what kind of skills can they develop with this i think they are things like being able to focus on what you decide to focus on which is really about what we're able to allow to be in the background without just giving into it which is i think at the core of this challenge there's the possibility of developing emotional granularity so that you know what you feel when you're feeling it. And you have a little more uh, self-awareness that I think is 
unbelievably powerful to actually know what you're feeling when you're feeling it instead of just waiting until later when you're telling a story about it. I think there's also the ability to see that if I become more familiar with how I'm responding to my own thoughts, feelings, challenges, body sensations, um, I realize that um, my experience might be very different than yours, might be very different than someone on my team. And I start to recognize that I can't assume that when I'm talking about feelings or frustration, I'm, I'm not always interpreting other people accurately because I'm putting them through the lens of my experience. Someone else might experience their emotions very differently. If I want to motivate them or inspire them or leverage the diversity of talent we have on our team, I need to realize that we're all bringing something different to the table. The more self-awareness I have, the more I can see that as everyone doesn't need to be like me. We all just need to be working on the project of being a little more objective about our own subjective experience. And I think this is a huge opportunity for leaders to realize that this is a trainable skill. And I know I have many clients that come to me in coaching and they have been given feedback that they lack emotional control or emotional agility uh, that they e too easily show their frustration or their anger and things like that. And some have even been told they, they need more self-awareness. So it sounds like this could be, this attentional fitness concept could be helpful in many of those types of ways. Yeah, absolutely. Um, not, an, not a quick fix, not an overnight fix, but if you're willing to get curious and commit a little bit of um, attention and curiosity, it can lead to some remarkably liberating um, places. If you've just tuned in, we're here with Darren Larson talking about attentional fitness and Darren's journey developing his own attention skills and how this concept can apply to leaders in the workplace. We'll take a quick break now. And when we return, we'll hear about some breakthroughs that leaders have had when working on their attention skills. And we'll hear more about Darren's work. Stay tuned, we'll be right back. Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. At MD Consulting, we provide executive coaching to leaders struggling with workplace challenges and pain points. Unlike other coaching companies that use a Band-Aid approach, we have a specific set of tools and processes to thoroughly root cause and unpack a client's challenges. Our specialized method helps you implement measurable and sustainable solutions to enhance your leadership skills and develop your team. Visit www.mdconsultingglobal.com to book a complimentary breakthrough session. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device. 
including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome back to Leading with Intention with Monique Daniel. Have a question for Monique or her guests? Email Monique at Monique at MDConsultingGlobal.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. We're here with Darren Larson talking about the importance of attention and how to develop those skills to be more effective in the workplace. Darren, before break, you were talking a little bit about there are other options besides breath awareness, Mm -hmm. you know, in the mindfulness and attentional fitness. Can you say a little bit more about that? Right. And so I was starting to say that once we understand, and that can take a long time to understand how to do a breath awareness exercise. What we start to notice is the essence of practice is I'm paying attention on purpose to a specific sensation briefly. The breath is brilliant for this because an inhale only lasts a few seconds, an exhale only lasts a few seconds. There might be a little space between, but we're talking about durations that are very short, right? We're also talking about something that operates fine perfectly fine in the background. So you can go all day and never notice that you're breathing. Your body takes care of that for you. But it's available if we decide to notice it, we can bring that and foreground it, right? Um, The other advantage of breath is that it's a sensation that is compelling because there's movement in it. So I'm going to leave it at that. But so using these things, brief spotlighting, of an ordinary sensation, especially one that's moving or changing in some ways, is really the point. So we're talking about body sensations in this example, but we could just as easily say, I'm going to set a timer for five minutes, and I'm going to notice sounds happening around me. I'm going to be pulled to a sound, listen for a few seconds, and then repeat listening to that same sound or another sound. So I can apply the same thing, spotlight what it's like to hear a sound for a few seconds. If it's moving like a car going by or something, bonus, but it's the same exercise. Um, We could do something like this with seeing, taking a walk and actually noticing where your gaze lands as you're walking your dog. So it could be auditory, it could be visual, it could be bodily. Um, Is that making sense that I can explore. Some people will do breath awareness and it'll actually make them anxious or they're so aware that they're controlling the breath that they are, they get all caught up in that. What I have found, especially smart people, creative people, people who think a lot, problem solve a lot, we're trying to um, redirect our attention out of our imagination without being forceful about it. So if there's a lot of internal chatter, it can be remarkable to get some momentum around hearing sounds happening around us for a few seconds at a time. And that can be, uh, you know, 
again, skill development gets better over practice, just like learning to play the piano. The more I practice this, the more I can choose to redirect my attention to an external sound, which creates the possibility of just getting a little break from my chatter. Um, does that, is that making sense? It does. And how, what's an example of how a leader could use this? So we were talking a little bit about how, um, if I'm a leader and I've got a team and a, part of the challenge is making sure we're all communicating well, I think there's a lot of communication challenges in teamwork, right? And we can assume the way I feel my feelings is how other people feel their feelings. <laughs> and what I have found is that there's not a right way to feel your feelings. Some people feel their feelings more as tangible sensations in their body, embarrassment in the face, a weepiness in the eyes, nervousness in their chest or stomach while other people and i i'm going to go say a lot of the leader folks that i talk to tend to be more if they're aware of emotion it's more of a narrative it's a story it's there's something in the content of what they're telling themselves that implies their emotion so when someone who is a more analytical has a more analytical experience of themselves in the world and they're trying to tell other people you know <laughs> To it's easy to discount or dismiss that someone else on your team might be having a very different experience of their emotion. One way I've um, had some success with this is two parts, I guess, and they both connect to this. Listening. When you find, as an analytical person, as a leader, there's a skill of being able to catch yourself preparing what you're going to say while you need to still be listening to what the other person is saying. So this can be a seat, and I recommend, so part of my attentional fitness is think more like a spy and less like a monk. I don't live in a monastery, I live in this complicated social world. How might a spy listen closely and observe themselves when I realize I'm no longer listening because I'm thinking, can I steer my listening back out and just hear this person talk? Um, it could be that I'm in the presence of someone who has a bodily sense of emotion that I just don't have. I, I find this to be true in um, couples. One person has the more analytical problem solver mode and the other one just wants to vent emotion because they feel they literally feel them in their body. Part of the challenge is translating so that we can hear each other and not dismiss each other's take and see the value of both, right? And I would say in the workplace, the, the valuable contribution that gets missed most often is that qualitative, palpable, emotional thing that, that we don't know exactly what to do with because it's not easily quantifiable. But back to practical application. Can I practice hearing what people are saying when I find myself planning what I'm going to say, come back to listening? That's one thing. Another thing I found is Sometimes if I know the person, so me being the person who has strong emotions in my body, and if I know I'm dealing with an analytical person, I might be able to find a way to get us to clear the table. Um, so for example, I might say, would you be willing to describe, are you experiencing discomfort right now on a scale from one to 10? It seems like you might be uncomfortable. On a scale from one to 10, how uncomfortable are you actually? And following up with, on a scale from 1 to 10, how problematic does that seem to you? And now this works both ways for people, because then you can say, 
um, I find an analytical person might say, I'm unco- my, unco- my discomfort is an eight, but the degree to which that is a problem is a two. I'm ready to go. We'll bring it on. And the other person who has more of an emotional might say, my discomfort is a three, but the problematic aspect is more like a nine. I feel like I am coming out of my skin. I don't know how I'm going to proceed, right? And the trick is to start to consider there's value in me being more familiar. How do I feel my feelings? What's my experience of my emotions? And could other people experience theirs differently? Can we work on addressing the communication barriers there instead of uh, pretending that everyone's going to suddenly um, experience their thoughts and feelings in the same way? So I hope that's a I hope that's a new idea for people to kind of um, swirl around and play with. I don't know. Does that seem doable? Yeah. Thank you for breaking that down. Um, so I'm going to share something really vulnerable with you and my listeners since we're on this topic. So this show is a pilot program. 13 weeks was the arrangement. We're actually now going to go full-blown into season one, so the first year. Um, But I have never been trained as a host. I've always been a guest on other people's podcasts and shows. So the first show, which launched in March, and several shows after that, I was super anxious, super nervous, had never done it before. The network did a great job coaching me and things like that, but it did not help the anxiety, the insomnia the night before. Um, When I listened back to the podcasts from those original shows, I could hear it in my voice. Mm. My throat was closing up, just a lot of stress and anxiety. I tried, quote, mindfulness techniques, specifically Mm. breath work. And just as you said, it caused me more anxiety. The breath work made it worse. It didn't really make it better. Mm, mm. So I really was at a loss as to what to do. And I had to move forward with the shows anyway. And I'm hoping over time it's gotten better. I'm hoping my listeners you know, have noticed a difference. But what could I have done differently at that time? Yeah. So I'm... So we would probably have to have a longer conversation, but the questions I start to ask are, when that comes up, is it something that you tangibly feel in your body that you could say, oh yeah, my, I can feel it in my chest. So now that's going to vary. Some people it's more like, oh, my mind just races. Some people it's going to be, I feel it in my chest or stomach or face. And then some people it's going to be some messy combination, right? What I see is the possibility is, is a couple of things. There tends to be this um, expectation of how something should feel. I imagine what it would be like to give a talk. I see someone give a talk. Oh my gosh, they look so comfortable. <laughs> um, not knowing what has gone into that. So we we misread our own subjective experience because we're comparing it to an ideal. So the question I like to play with is, what's the closest pleasant emotion that I could reframe this as so personally for me um like the nervous anxiety i really i'm passionate about my message but i'm nervous it's not landing because it's confusing and it sounds abstract to people right so when i'm having that night before uh emotional attack number one i say oh my my nervous system is trying to alert me this is important i care about this 
And this might feel differently in my body than it feels to someone else. I don't know what other people think. In fact, this is one of the things I like to try to do is try to pretend I don't know what other people think and feel as a way to take myself off the hook from what I'm what I'm bringing into that. Like, you know, the, the joke is I really don't know what other people are thinking and feeling, but it seems like I do especially in those moments when it's tense, when there's anxiety on board, it feels like I it feels like I can read their minds, remind myself, I can't read people's minds and remind myself, maybe this is what it feels like at this stage in my career, in my skill at communicating this, um, what I see to be as real, if it weren't important, I would sleep like a baby. <laughs> it's so important to me. So this is what it feels like in my body when it says, Darren, you are, you're doing what you need to do. Keep doing it. Um, see if I can take the sensations that I'm interpreting as um, fear. You shouldn't be doing this. Don't do this. Stop. You're going to embarrass yourself and say, maybe, maybe this is the very thing that is fueling my passion and I can calibrate my relationship to it. One way to do this, because this is what I rely on a lot. If I'm willing to investigate the sensations instead of what I'm jumping into, what the sensations mean, the significance, what it says about me and my identity. If I can just say, like a scientist observing sensations in a human body, where do I feel it? Does it, is it, is it in my chest? Let's say, let's say it's, I've got this anxious feeling in my chest. It doesn't go above my chin and it doesn't go below, below my um, rib cage. It's just right here. This is interesting because I can get curious as this is a sensation in my body signaling I care about something. I'm going to, what if I don't interpret as I need to put the brakes on it, but say, there could be vitality lurking in here if I, if I learn to fight with it less. Now, could there be other parts of my body that are not broadcasting sensations that have to do with affect or emotion or feel? My legs aren't broadcasting fear. My hands aren't. The back, for me, this is the case, the back of my body is not broadcasting alert, alert, alert. So the challenge is maybe safety and learning <laughs> and having a personal investment feels like if this is what it feels like in my body, could I let myself feel it for five seconds? Could I let myself feel it for five seconds? Repeat, repeat a few times for a minute. Could I let myself notice that I could say I could feel this, this feeling in my chest for a few seconds and then feel a place in my body that is not broadcasting alarm. And this is, I, I so appreciate this. I hope it's coming out as somewhat coherent, but this to me is where when we just think mindfulness is about being calm, we're missing a huge opportunity because it's about noticing what it's like to be alive with less internal friction. It's about not being calm on demand, but remembering you have a choice especially when the stakes are high, especially when you care, especially when it comes to relationships and leading. I can choose how to respond to this. I can break it down, work on taking it less personally by investigating my subjective reaction with a little more objectivity, right? Um, huge and powerful and so much more than just relaxation. 
So for busy leaders, what is one thing that they could do right now immediately to try to practice this technique? I would say take one minute at the beginning and one minute at the end of your day, hit a timer for one minute and just feel what you feel in your body. Might be your breath, might be your heart beating, might be the temperature, might be emotion, feel what's there to be felt. Treat it as an experiment, give it four to six weeks. First thing in the morning, last thing when you sign off at the end of the day. And then throughout the day, this is the hardest part because it's more spontaneous. Can you check in with, this is what it feels like to wait for a Zoom meeting to begin. This is what it's like to get an email that I now have to deal with this thing, to take a few seconds. So one minute, beginning of the day, one minute, the end of the day, and a few seconds here and there throughout the day, noticing what you're feeling when you're feeling it. Um, do I have time to give an example of a, um, this was a strategy I gave with um, a nurse during the pandemic who, she was an ICU nurse and having this young, um, loved her job, but feeling depleted. So she did this for a few weeks and she was noticing very quickly. It's a, not a logical thing, but it's like, I didn't realize the emotions I was pushing down until I started giving myself a minute or two or three. What happens if you make a minute, you realize, you know what? I need two more minutes of this. <laughs> um, if I give myself the actual uh, five minutes, three minutes to be a human being and human being feeling the residue of the day, how it's impacted your body, we're not machines. We're not artificial intelligence. We're human beings with emotions. We don't realize what we're pushing down until we give ourselves time and room and permission to actually feel what's there without solving anything. I'm just relating to my emotional experience a little more effectively. We're here with Darren Larson discussing how leaders can develop their attention skills and some ways to practice and test out his approach. A few reminders before we take a quick break. I'd love for you to visit my website at mdconsultingglobal.com. There you can sign up for my blog that comes out twice a month and you can connect with me on social media. As always, you can email in your questions to me for me or the guests to answer on the show. You can do that at monique at mdconsultingglobal.com. And if you are a leader or a CEO of a Fortune 500 company and would like to be a guest on the show, especially since we're going into full-blown season one, you can reach out to me at that email address also. After we come back from break, we'll hear more about Darren's work with leaders. So stay tuned, we'll be right back. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. At MD Consulting, we provide executive coaching to leaders struggling with workplace challenges and pain points. Unlike other coaching companies that use a Band-Aid approach, we have a specific set of tools and processes to thoroughly root cause and unpack a client's challenges. Our specialized method helps you implement measurable and sustainable solutions to enhance your leadership skills and develop your team. Visit www.mdconsultingglobal.com to book a complimentary breakthrough session. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. 
Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Sustainable success is just around the corner. If you are an entrepreneur, business leader, or anybody looking for their next level of success, tune into Sustainable Success with host Chris Salem. Did you know that the path to success is a long path that started many years ago? The path you started on then determines what is happening now. Chris and his amazing guests in their field will help you navigate the path to sustainable success every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Welcome back to Leading with Intention with Monique Daniel. Have a question for Monique or her guests? Email Monique at Monique at MDConsultingGlobal.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. You're listening to Leading with Intention on the Voice America Business Channel. We're back with Darren Larson discussing his method of attentional fitness. Darren, I have leaders that come to me in coaching and they have ADHD, dyslexia, Uh, they're given feedback from their managers that they aren't focusing, they're not concentrating, they're losing their train of thought when they're talking or giving a presentation. And what they tell me is that as a child, they went through all these programs or uh, in school to try to get help. And at some point they were just told, you know, this is all that we can do and you've got to figure out your own coping skills and deal with it. Then they get into the workplace and they think they're coping, but they're given feedback that there's still a problem with their performance. How can your method help someone like that? So rich. So, and I think I have this feeling that it's a very, it's a big, like widespread thing. So number one, it's widespread. I think it somewhat gets back to this idea of we hold ourselves, we compare our own experience to some ideal that that gap between how I how I see myself and how I wish I was instead is is big and challenging and makes it even more challenging. My general rule of thumb on something like this is to scale down instead of giving up. And what I mean by that is, can I? This is back to my idea of I want to be a spy, not a a monk. Can I secretly work on this? for as long as it takes. And that might be a lot longer than I want it to take. And can I scale down my efforts? Let's say I um, am overweight and I get diagnosed with um, diabetes. Does that mean all hope is lost? I can't exercise. I can't change my diet. You, I, I, you know, it's probably going to be, I'm going to work with a doctor. I'm going to have medications and I'm going to try to change my lifestyle. It's going to be all those things, right? Um, we wouldn't say all hope is lost. We would say, this is gonna be challenging. You can do it. Here's some, some support for you. Same is true. I'm rattled. I only realize after the fact that I've been scattered and tangential or nervous, or I said something I shouldn't have said because I was nervous. One, one thing I wanna say is 
we think of mindfulness as being more present, but I think of mindfulness as a skill we're developing to be more present in the future, which sounds a little contradictory. What I mean by that is don't discount the hindsight that you have, the fresh hindsight. You get to the end of a workday, you sit with yourself for a minute, reflect on the day and like, oh my God, I'm so embarrassed I did that thing I always say I'm not gonna do. When we look back and say, you know what? I, I can analyze that and say, this challenge is gonna keep coming back for me. Someone's gonna look at me funny. I'm gonna feel like I'm in the hot seat. I'm gonna be in this leader role. I don't, I'm, I'm uncomfortable with it right now. This is gonna keep coming back for me. What's one thing I could try differently next time this happens, right? What I'm trying to get at here is let's don't undervalue the power of reflection in being able to spot those places where we could choose differently and get a different outcome. It might be a very little difference. It might be don't say everything that comes to your mind when you're nervous. It could be when you think you have something funny to say, wait a few seconds and see if it still seems like a good idea. You know, one thing I notice is that um, how if I'm having a strong emotion, it's hard for me to be clear and objective. And then later after that emotion subsides, I can be more objective. We're not good at predicting how we will feel in the future because whatever we're feeling in the present is impacting that. So, so don't undervalue the possibility of looking back on what happened earlier today as an inevitable piece of honing these skills of paying more attention in the future. So be more present in the future. The other thing, scale down, scale way down. <laughs> Maybe you're not ready to give a 45 minute talk. Maybe you need to give a lot of 10 minute talks before. Give yourself the cushion, the grace, the wiggle room to develop a skill at scale for you, right? There is no, this is, this is my feeling, there is no perfect self-help book for you or for me. It's very personal, very intimate, and I have to get feedback from people I trust, adjust my expectations. And, you know, we're talking kind of generally here. So I'm wondering if I should think of something really specific. This is sort of related. It came up yesterday. Someone was saying before the pandemic, this was like a CEO. She was before the pandemic. I was able to read a book. I loved reading. Now I feel like I can't even get through a chapter. I said, okay. So when we compare now with how it was, it feels like torture. Would you be willing to secretly, quietly shoot for fewer pages? Could you read two pages? Could you read one paragraph, celebrate <laughs> for a, a few seconds, read another paragraph, celebrate? This, I think what happens is we get thrown by these hurdles and we give up hope. Oh my gosh, I read a page. I don't remember what's on the page. I'll never be able to read books again. The reality is my attention is really frazzled. I'm gonna have to start over. I'm gonna have to read one page. I'm gonna have to read one paragraph and start push, putting this together. And I think that's a project for someone to explore with some privacy. You know, we don't have to tell everybody, oh my gosh, I read two pages of a novel today. It's something, a secret project. Before you know it, you'll be reading chapters again. You'll it's It will take less time than you fear it will to bring that back 
but not if you're constantly comparing now to what was. Work with what you've got now. Can I, one little thing, I, I have trained for marathons. I could not run a marathon right now. I ran two miles yesterday. It was hard. So does that mean I shouldn't have run two miles or does that mean I'm adjusting for now instead of just not exercising, right? So scale down instead of giving up. That's my, that's a shorter way of saying that. <laughs> what do you think of meditation apps? I think they're great. Um, Mm, such a good question. I learned from cassette tapes, which means I would find one good cassette tape and listen and listen and listen. And then what that meant was I was so bored by it. I had to like practice doing it without the cassette tape. And I think that is actually a real benefit in this endeavor. So what I would say is if you have a meditation app that you like, Find an exercise that you like. I What I find is I, there's no app there that I like all that. In fact, I like very few of the exercises on most of the apps. But if you find one exercise that you like, it helps to have that guidance. Work on becoming your own mindfulness coach, meaning if guiding, being guided through 10 minutes of uh, a relaxation exercise is, works for you, try to do that by yourself without the guidance once in a while. I'm like, mix it up every other day. I'm a big fan of mix it up. Listen to the guidance today. Do your best to repeat the guidance for yourself tomorrow. Go back to the guidance the next day. Before you know it, you can guide yourself. If 10 minutes is too long, do it for five minutes and celebrate that. Scale it down. Um, I would throw in there, remind yourself you don't need the app to be mindful think of an app as like extra challenge or extra support like going to the gym or working with a personal trainer the real goal is to bring mindfulness into ordinary moments that's where the power is going to be especially uncomfortable moments so to me attentional fitness refers to habits exercises and strategies for responding more effectively to life the app is great, but you really want the app to be an investment in how do I listen in a meeting? How do I, um, um, how can I, how, how do I do in those liminal moments when I'm at a stoplight and it feels like I'm just going to check my phone real quick and the next thing you know, people are honking at me because I should be going forward. There's these, in fact, this is what I think would be the, the, the most clever way to explore what I'm talking about secretly, you know? Find those little moments where it feels like I'm just going to take a few seconds and check Instagram. Next thing you know, 15 minutes has gone by. See if you can try sacrificing one of those a day. One of those little liminal moments, whatever it is that you do. Um, it feels like I'm being productive. I'm, I'm checking something off the list, but it, it results in regret. I'm always looking for those things that my habitual reaction results in regret. Am I willing to sacrifice one of those a day, one of those every two days. Um, it's so satisfying to decide not. I love Instagram, by the way, full disclosure. I love Instagram, but I'm terrible at determining how much time am I going to spend on it. When I say, you know what, I'm going to sit with this urge. I'm going to ur surf this urge to scroll for a minute or two. I have never regretted that. I don't think anyone has ever regretted that. 
But think of it as not a personality trait or personality flaw, but a attentional challenge. Can I more often than never notice the urge and forego that short-term payoff? And instead, think of this as an investment in what happens if I um, get better at deciding what to put my attention on instead of leaving that to who demands it. And Darren, how can listeners find out more about you and your work? So, I mean, I guess Instagram now I've said that. My <laughs> website is, uh, you know, luckily my I'm very Googleable because um, my name is spelled strangely, not because I have some kind of spiritual name, but because it's uh, after my great grandmother, actually her last name, D-A-R-O-N Larson. I guess people will see that in your materials. Um, I've got a TED Talk. I've got a website. I'm on Twitter, um, Instagram. Oh, I have a a 10 part course that's like the each session is maybe 10 minutes on the insight timer app. Um, that's kind of fun. And it, it reinforces some of the things we've talked about all these options you can explore and decide uh, on the ones that work for you. I'm also on the bright mind app, which not very many people are aware of, but is a very multi-sensory approach that um, gives you lots of reminders of how many options you have for practicing and applying those in real life. You've been listening to Leading with Intention on the Voice America Business Channel. My guest today has been Darren Larson on the topic of attentional fitness. Darren, I really appreciate you being here today to help leaders understand how to develop their attention. And I'd like to invite you all back next week to hear more about leadership from Brenda Harrington, who will speak about developing competence and confidence by being authentic in the workplace. And again, visit my website at mdconsultingglobal.com, where you can sign up for my blog and all of my social media. I welcome all of you to come back again next week. And while you're gone, don't forget to lead with intention. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Leading with Intention. Our intention is that you walk away from this show today with new tools, techniques, and insights that help you lead more effectively and have greater impact within your company. Until we talk again, have a great week.